0: Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. Before we get started, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investing advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is an accomplished analyst, speaker, and author, and a recognized expert in the precious metals space. He is also the Senior Precious Metals Analyst at GoldSilver.com. Mr. Jeff Clark, welcome to the show.
1: Great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. This should be fun.
0: Indeed. So I want to start the same way I get started with all my guests, which is how did you begin your journey in investing and what was the road that led you from there to where you are today?
1: So I don't know if your audience knows me or not, but my dad was actually a gold prospector Um, in his second life. He was an electrical engineer in his first life, retired, moved to California and the gold bug caught him. So uh, he became a prospector, not for a company, just on his own, more as a hobby but he got pretty good at it he traveled around with a bunch of guys at one point we had claims in california nevada arizona um so it was a lot of fun uh but it's a lot like fishing you never know if you're going to find something or not right so um it's it can be backbreaking work and can be very hot and tedious but it was a lot of fun you know he found a lot of things over the years and uh Probably his biggest find was this giant quartz piece that was probably oh long, and it had uh, gold running through this quartz. Gold sometimes is found around quartz, so if you find quartz, you might find some gold. But anyway, there was about three and a half ounces total that was in that piece, and so that was probably his biggest find, so it was a lot of fun. But he got so good at it that uh, he won some gold panning contests. Yes, there are such things. And uh he was part of a group that would guarantee you would find gold if you bought a gold detector and they would teach you uh how to use it and they would take you out for that lesson, they would guarantee you'd find gold. And he always came through. So <laughs> so he was pretty good at it. Um, uh, but I was more interested in investing and, and stocks and things like that, right? So um I wrote to uh Casey Research way back in the day and uh it was Lobo Tigray that actually answered that query. I think he's been on your show. And uh, uh, long story short, I had to submit a whole lot of writing samples uh, to pass muster with them. And I did eventually got hired on a trial basis and, and then eventually became the editor at uh, what was then called Big Gold. It no longer exists, but it focused on producers. And that was the largest circulating newsletter at Casey Research at the time. So, uh, and now I'm over with uh, GoldSilver.com with Mike Maloney. It's a total blast working with him. He's a very genuine individual and really uh, what you see is what you get with him. He he really does want to educate people. It's great.
0: Yeah, big fan of his YouTube channel as well. And you always make appearances there, which I always appreciate. So before we dive into precious metals specifically, I want to get your overview on the current state of the global economy and financial markets. What are some of the challenges the challenges you see up ahead, as well as some of the potential opportunities?
1: Well, that's a big question. Um, You know, we could talk about that for hours. (laughs) Uh, But the main challenge, I think, in the big picture and why I'm invested in gold is the monetary system is not sustainable as it is. And so therefore, because of debt, because of deficit spending, the debt can never be repaid. Uh, at least in current dollars, ever it can never be repaid. Um, deficit spending since the Great Financial Crisis, hardly anyone in the G20 has been able to balance a budget. Still, after all these years, they can't balance a budget. Um, you know, deficit spending is is just in runaway mode. But it's the currency creation that I think is the the real driving force behind this. To maintain the current system, they have to continue to create currency. So you add all that up and, and that is the core reason why I am personally long gold and I will continue to hold gold and buy gold until the monetary system changes and, and is restructured, redesigned, whatever that may entail. So that's the big picture. So what that implies is that, A, there is some pretty big fallout ahead whenever that system breaks down, you know, and we don't know when that's going to be right. I mean, it could be. Next year it could be three to five years away. We don't know, but you have to be prepared for it ahead of time. So it implies that you know you need to own gold, physical gold, um, and you need to reduce your debt, stay out of debt as much as you possibly can, and perhaps even have a, a second stream of income, uh, whatever that may look like for anyone in case your regular job goes away, right? So because that can happen in in recessions and in certainly in a depression and that sort of thing. So um, the good news is if if the worst case scenario doesn't happen, you're no worse off. All those things are still good. You're out of debt. You have multiple sources of income. You know, maybe you're growing a garden that all these things would be good. All the preparations you would make for a worst case scenario. They're, they're no skin off your teeth, so to speak, uh, if you do them, because they're all good things, you know. So um, so while we can be optimistic, you know. The glass is both half full and half empty. You know, I, I think it's reasonable to be optimistic, but you have to be prepared because we're in a situation at, at this point in history that is very vulnerable. The system is very vulnerable and you need to be prepared for that.
0: When it comes to precious metals, why do you think it is that so many people have seemingly forgotten the fact that they've been real money over the course of thousands of years. It seems like that's kind of been left by the wayside by your average person. So why do you think that is? Is it the fiat currency system we exist in or is it lack of education? What would you say?
1: Uh, When the floodwaters recede and don't come back for years and years and years, people tend to ignore it. And that's the same thing with gold gold has been money for thousands of years like you say it is the best form of money it's the only form of money that really qualifies to be money um uh, so the dollar bills in our wallet are not money because they erode value they leak value constantly and that pace is picking up right now right Uh, gold does not and mankind has found over thousands of years that this is the best form of money uh going all the way back to pirates to kings and queens to Way back in the Greeks, you know, thousands of years ago, the Egyptians, they all saw gold as money because it's the only form. Pardon me, that that is sustainable on a long term basis as money, you know, chemically uh, and all kinds of reasons. So so I I think there will be a reawakening at some point, (laughs) Uh, you know, and that'll probably revolve around the U.S. dollar, or the monetary system in some way you know, cracking and breaking down. We're seeing signs of that now, but, you know, uh, there's probably a big blow up ahead (laughs) and you need to own gold for that. And that will probably reawaken people to uh, this idea that gold is in fact money.
0: Yeah. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that reawakening because as I was mentioning before, your average person literally has no idea. In fact, many people think holding gold and silver makes absolutely no sense in this era. So do you see it as a situation where as we hit a big recession or perhaps in the most extreme situation where there's a hyperinflation of the US dollar, global reserve currency, um, do you see it kind of being survival of the fittest where those who have prepared themselves will be well positioned to kind of survive the storm and that those who aren't will be left on the outside? Or do you think there will come a time when the majority kind of sees the value in gold and silver?
1: I think the majority will see the value in gold and silver, even if they don't own it, but it'll probably be too late for most of them. Most people don't want to own gold. Um, here's a good example. You know, I was at a, a conference a couple of years ago, and uh, I met with some uh, hedge fund people that we were all invited to dinner with this company. And we started talking, and and they get it. They're not gold-centric. They're not even pro-gold necessarily. They get it. But they get it because the, the monetary system is not sustainable as it is. And yet they think they can get out the door before everybody else when the system starts to crack. So, you know, it it really argues for the crash being worse than it needs to be. And I'm referring to the stock market or maybe the bond market or something like that. So it it's, you know, it's probably going to be pretty traumatic, but even they get it. You know, they understand it's not sustainable. And so. Uh, if they're not in and these guys are they are not stupid, these guys are NBA types and all that, you know, uh, they have to produce every quarter. Right. They got to show positive returns every quarter. So if gold's not moving, they're not going to buy it. That, that's that's their view. So but but that argues that that points to the fact that that a lot of these people, a lot of these investors, including fund managers, are going to come back into the gold market when it does begin to move. Uh, they could come back in because of some event that forces them back in, or they could simply be, come back because the gold price is moving up. I asked the hedge fund manager, manager once, "Why don't you own more than five percent gold?" And he goes, "Well, I will, but when it only when it breaks out." So he wasn't going to buy any more gold until the price broke out of his technical chart level. You know, that's a misunderstanding of what the core value of gold is. It's it's money. And it's your best protection in the current environment. And you got to own it before all this happens. So uh, I do think there'll be a reawakening at some point. But sadly, it'll probably be too late for many people.
0: So speaking of gold as money in a future scenario where we see a rush to gold and silver and perhaps a collapse of fiat currency, do you think precious metals will be used as a as a currency again, whether that's a paper uh, whether that's a precious metal metals backed currency, whether that's using gold and silver itself or h- how do you see that scenario playing out?
1: Well, well, it won't be a currency. It's not going to circulate as currency where you walk into the grocery store and you give somebody a gold eagle or something like that, It that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but it could back the currency, which would be, in essence, a gold standard. It could be a gold standard, full-on gold standard. We've had that before. It could be a partial gold standard. We had backing where it was 40% of the currency was backed by gold. It could be a bimetallic standard where it's gold and silver, a partial bimetallic. There's a lot of ways this could, could work out, right? So, Or it could be none of the above. It could, it could be You know, the U.S. dollar just putting uh, the government putting an extra zero on the dollar or combining it with uh, the Chinese yuan or, uh, you know, the IMF steps in and there's a world current. I mean, there's so many different ways this could play out. Um, But the solution for us is actually pretty simple. You need to own gold. You don't buy gold because you think we might go in a gold standard. You buy gold because you need it to protect yourself and your family against the financial crises that are likely ahead. So um, there's a lot of ways this could play out. It's going to be very interesting. But if you don't own gold, you could be hurting. Let's put it that way.
0: And when we look at holding physical gold as opposed to silver, do you think gold is better than silver or do you think it's worth it to hold both of them?
1: Um, I hold both. And Mike Maloney is holds more silver uh, dollar-wise than he does gold simply because of the ratio being so elevated for so long, the gold-silver ratio is really high, meaning that it's a better buy for silver right now than it is for gold. But gold is the king of the metals. And so you, you do have to own gold. I, 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 I bristle a little bit when I hear people you know buying so much silver and they own no gold whatsoever. That, that seems a little risky to me. I, I wanna own both metals uh, because both uh, do perform a little differently respond to events differently. Uh, For example, gold uh, usually does rises in a recession, which makes sense, right? People were uncertain. There's some fear. They turn to gold during a recession. Uh, Silver does not rise in a recession most of the time. Historically, since the early 70s, it usually falls during a recession. So, there are different, you know, roles that each of them play. Uh, So, I definitely want exposure to both we get the bull market that we all think is ahead, silver so will probably outperform gold like it has in the past. So um, there's reasons to own both. And I would, I would recommend people do that.
0: So I want to talk about what it will take to bring the next generation of gold investors in. We've talked about a lack of awareness by the general public and a lot of younger investors are piling into cryptocurrencies. Obviously, we've seen some issues with that recently. Um, what do you think it will take to bring that generation into the fold when it comes to the precious metals?
1: You mean piling out of cryptocurrency right now? Yeah, yeah. You know at this moment, yes. I'm, I'm kidding. You know, I own cryptos. I, I, I own some cryptos that I like and think may do well. But I, I view them almost like a junior mining stock, more of a speculation than I do a certainty. Gold is proven. If you look at three thousand years of history, gold is proven. As far as uh, younger people, what I really liked about the crypto industry is that it. It seemed to awaken at least some people, younger people, to the fact of what fiat currency is. you know, that there's scarcity value is a real issue, that uh, the monetary system isn't sustainable, that you know fiat currency does lose value, you know? so a lot of those um, factors, you know uh, the reasons people bought crypto are some of the same reasons that people buy gold. They have that similarity, right? So I think it awakens some people to it. I think when the uh great awakening <laughs> will occur is is when the dollar goes. Uh when the dollar goes, that's going to be traumatic. It's going to be global and it's going to be, it's going to hurt. Uh the world won't come to an end, but it may feel like it. So <laughs> you you need to make sure that you own, you know, for if you own cryptos, make sure you own a little gold too. I strongly encourage that.
0: I know you're a big fan of investing in mining companies as well as the physical bullion. Could you maybe give us a checklist that you look at when you're evaluating a mining company? Um, and also, which, which stage do you prefer? Is it Do you invest in explorers, developers, producers, a mix of all of them? How how do you approach the sector?
1: Well, that's a big question. I could talk to you about that for a week. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite topic of investing in junior miners, Uh um, so the th- to, for your first question, I, I think there's something that everyone can do right out of the gate and I, I, it'll put you ahead of 90 percent of at least retail investors out there. And that is to look at a mining stock through the three legs of the stool. It takes three legs to hold a stool up and you need all three in the junior mining sector or the mining sector, period. Excuse me, um, you know, t- to be effective, to, to have a good speculation there. So the first is the people. And, and we always say that everybody says that. And it's really true. But here's a couple things you could do to actually evaluate the people. Don't just look at their resume and think, wow, that looks great. Everybody puts their best foot forward on their resume. Right. Look at the companies that they have run before and do one th- simple thing. What did the stock do under their tenure at those previous companies? Did the stock rise? Did they create shareholder value? Or not. And that'll give you a very good clue as to how well they can run a company and create shareholder value. That's what we want. The second thing is how much of their own money, it's a very specific question, how much of their own money have they invested in their stock? Um, not the options or you know, warrants and things like that. They may be granted as being part of the company. That happens with all of them. That's okay. But if they put their own cash, their own capital into their stock, if they haven't. Why should I? I want their, I want them to sweat a little bit because I want them to be able to resolve issues and push this company forward and do what's best for it because they have their own capital invested in the company. That's what I want to see. The second thing is the jurisdiction. You got to be in a pro mining jurisdiction. The reason being you can't move the mine. The mine is where it is. If it's in Ecuador and all of a sudden they tack on, you know, a big tax package. uh, There's nothing a company can do. There's some sites that have some projects that have not actually gone into production simply because of where it was located and the government and the politics that surrounded it. And then the third thing, of course, is the property. But that's the third thing. The first two things I look at are that I'll hear. Invariably, I'll hear about a good drill result. Somebody say, did you see that drill hit for X, Y, Z? And if I don't know the company, the first thing I'm going to ask is, well, who's behind it and where is it? Because if it's a guy whose last company was a marijuana company, and the project's in some war-torn part of Africa, I'm not so much interested in that drill hit. So uh, you look at those two things first, and and then for the property, you want to look at something, can it be big and can it be high grade? Big and rich is what you're looking for, just like my grandma's chocolate chip cookies.
0: (laughs) I, I wanted to kind of touch on one thing that you mentioned there about jurisdiction, because in some stable mining jurisdictions like Canada and parts of America, you can see massive delays in permitting time and a lot of ESG concerns. So do you weigh that as a jurisdictional risk as well? Whereas you're speaking of maybe war-torn Africa could present, you know, different types of risk, but maybe your your project gets permitted faster. How, how do you look at that?
1: that's that's a good point, and i I do acknowledge that if if you go into a war torn part of Africa that you, I may miss some by not going there, right? But overall, I am going to reduce my risk. I may miss one, but I'll have you know uh the three that don't do well or blow up. um you know, I won't be a part of them. so it's a risk reduction technique as much as it is you know a prospective technique for going for a ten bagger. so But yeah, you want to look at that. COVID kind of complicated things as far as permitting goes, assay results, drill results, getting drill rigs. COVID really complicated all that. So there's a little you have to give a little bit of weight to that. Um, A lot of it is cleaning up. I can say right now they're getting drill rigs. You know, labs are not quite as backed up. They're still not back to normal, but they're getting results a little bit quicker than they did you know a year ago, two years ago, that kind of thing. So. So a lot of that's there, but permitting is a big issue. That comes into play obviously for a developer. Um, A developer is a company that has an asset, has a resource, and they're gonna try to prove it up to put it into production. That process is typically years long. It can be a boring phase for an investor. Uh, So I'm typically investing before that phase or maybe toward the end of that phase at the pre-producer, the one who's actually declared a construction decision and is going to proceed to production because it, the the stock usually gets a re-rating then. But for the most part, I'm, I'm, you know, nine out of 10, a minor down in the Explorer category, uh, looking for uh, that Babe Ruth home run. So.
0: Let's touch on uranium. I know you're bullish on uranium. I know you invest in the sector. Um, does it make up a large portion of your portfolio or is it something you're kind of more speculating on? And um, what, why are you so bullish on the sector?
1: Well, you are speculating when you buy a mining stock, regardless of the sector, regardless of what they do, even if they're in production, in my opinion, it's a speculation, it's not an investment uh, for the most part. So you are speculating, you need to understand that unless you're buying the metal itself, if you're buying gold bullion, that's not a speculation. Um, So we are speculating, but for uranium specifically, yes, it does make a significant portion of my portfolio. I'm still longer gold and silver, but uranium is a bull market that is happening now and is only going to increase. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but there's a supply-demand issue. There's not going to be enough supply uh, in the next year or two, and demand is only going to increase. So the world is not ready for that. It's complicated more by uh, Russia's invasion, the, the ban that they want to put on uranium there. That will happen sooner or later. That's going to make U.S. and Canadian companies uh, that much more attractive. Um, uh, and then the green energy argument, you know, uh, if people don't know, nuclear is a zero carbon uh, base baseload power source. And so it, it emits no carbon. So uh, the politicians are obviously jumping on that bandwagon. Uh, I think a lot of us saw that, you know, a decade ago, uh, but politicians are now just doing it, but they're going to push that. And that's going to make uranium companies even more attractive. So all those reasons, you add them up and it's, you know, it's very bullish for uranium over the next few years. Uh, so I'm I'm very long. I'm very excited about the
0: possibilities there. And how do you approach investing in the space? Kind of same question as before. Do you, do you look at explorers? Do you look at developers or at the big producers like Cameco? Uh, what, what what do you prefer?
1: Well, there's not a lot of producers in the <laughs> in the space. You know, especially in North America. You could look at Cameco. You know, there's a few other small producers, but um, you know, the the big uh, push there is probably going to be in the companies that push forward and become producers over the next one, two, three years. Those are the ones I'm really invested in because not only are they in that sweet spot where they'll get that re-rating uh, for the stock as they go into production, um, they're going to be favored because uh, the U.S. especially, but but Canada too, is going to want, you know, U.S. produced uranium. And that's going to make them very favorable and uh, probably drive their prices uh, higher on that basis alone. So so I'm down in the pre-producer, a couple explorers as well, uh, uh, you know, as opposed to the producers.
0: Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation. Uh, Before we go, could you talk to our audience about goldsilver.com and anywhere else they can find you online?
1: Yeah, so I do write exclusively for goldsilver.com right now. work with Mike Maloney there. You can find all our content there. Sign up for our um, newsletter. and You actually get the content before the public gets it. So um, it's a lot of fun. It's great there. And then I do occasionally write for a publication called Silver Chartist. The link is silverchartistadvisor.com if anyone's interested. And that's strictly about um, mining stocks. So I get to scratch that itch over there at Silver Chartist. So.
0: Great. Well, I'll put links to those in the description below so people can find it. Thank you so much and hope to have you on again to continue the conversation.
1: Absolutely, Jesse. We will. Thanks.
0: Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.